Hi, welcome to Chat with Sunlight. Like Sunlight's curriculum offerings, we will explore homeschooling through the lens of a literature-based, Christ-centered education. Join us for everything you might be interested in, for organizing your homeschool, connecting with others, and details on literature-based learning, and maybe a few sneak peeks. Hi, welcome to Chat with Sunlight. Today, I have the honor of having Stephen Hake, author of Saxon Math Programs. I believe there's six books that you've authored, but then you've helped with Saxon for years. Stephen, could you introduce yourself and let's start off. Tell me how you got started with Saxon, and then we'll go back. I want to hear your story. Well, I met John Saxon at a conference in Long Beach in 1983. Um, I had read an article about John Saxon in a National Review magazine uh, at a local library. And uh, as I was preparing uh, my own students uh, where I was teaching, I was teaching uh, seventh and eighth grade students and going to the library to research and to prepare assignments for my classroom. And I saw this article about John Saxon and I read the article and hmm, there's somebody that teaches math the way I do. So I ordered a copy of his Algebra 1 book. I started using it with my own students. Thought, wow, this is the first book I've been willing to use in my classroom for 10 years. And it's very similar to books that I had written or materials that I had written for use in our own school for lower great kids. Uh, so I wrote John Saxon a letter saying, Dear Colonel Saxon, I have just read about your uh, publishing uh, efforts to get an Algebra 1 book in print, and I'm wondering if you have any advice for me. I, I see all the trouble that you went through to get your books in print. I've written materials for fourth, fifth, and sixth grade levels, and I wonder if you can save me some trouble. Uh, you know, What are some shortcuts? How we can we get this material in print. And while he tracked me down and called me uh, at the school where I was teaching and said, how about I print your book? Well, that was a shock because uh, I thought, you know, here's a one-man publishing company. He's publishing uh, an algebra book. But I didn't realize that by that time, he had also created a manuscript for pre-algebra and then a manuscript for a book to follow algebra one. So I said, well, how about we meet? I see you're coming to a conference in Long Beach. Uh, in November. So we did meet. Uh, he said, I'll give you the same offer that Prentice Hall gave me when I published books for the community college level, because that was John's first writing effort. He said, if you submit a manuscript that I like, I'll publish it. So my first uh, effort was a sixth grade program. Uh, I called it level six. I sent it to John Saxon a year later, it was in early 1984, he flew out to California where I live and offered me a contract. So that's how we uh, first got the first book in print. Since that was level six, let me ask you real quick, and then we're going to ask about more about you. Um, would that be like the seven six or would that be uh, six five? We, that yes. using numbering system that we all right. use as homeschool moms would go, well, I don't know if it's fifth or sixth grade or if it's, yeah. Can well, you... uh, we had a conversation about that because John said, uh, is this a sixth grade book or a seventh grade book? And I said, well, I think it's a sixth grade book, but when students finish it, they should be able to go into algebra one half because that was kind of my target as I was writing. Right. And he said, well, then it's a seventh grade book. And I said, well, if a strong sixth grader goes, uh, does the program, uh, they should be able to go into the algebra one half book. So we kicked around different names. He 
had already named the pre-algebra book Algebra 1 half. So he said, how about we call it Algebra minus 1 <laughs> or Algebra negative 1? And well, that wasn't my first choice. So he said, how about we call it Math 7 6 for average seventh grade books for st average seventh grade students, stronger sixth grade students. So that's where Math 76 came from, Math 76. And okay. so the book that would precede that would be for strong fifth graders or more average sixth graders, Math 65. So the first four books that I wrote were Math 76, then Math 65, then Math 54. And then we had a conversation about should there be a book between Math 76 and Algebra 1 half? And that's where Math 87 came in. Oh, I was just about to ask you. I, I always, when I talk to moms that are new and they're like, well, they're strong, but you know, they're not ready for algebra or pre-algebra yet. I've always geared them towards 8-7 um, versus going to algebra one half and frustrating their child. But let me ask you, if you did 8-7 and your kid succeeded, what are your thoughts of going to algebra one and not doing algebra one? Uh, we have always said, and people that have had a lot of experience with it also say that if students get through math 87 in good shape, you know, they're scoring close to 90% on their tests, then it's fine. Just go straight into algebra one. Very good. Algebra one half is a good pre-algebra book, but it's it misses out on a lot of the content that would typically be part of an eighth grade program. So going through Math 87 is, is a good step in, uh, in preparation for Algebra 1 or Algebra 1 half if they struggle a little bit. Right. I was going to say, if you have one of those kids that just struggle, I would t slow it down and let them do one half because building sure. the foundation is key. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's go back. How did you become, I mean, obviously God gifted you into being a math person, but so you were a teacher. How many years were you in the school system teaching and what grades you said you were in seventh grade teaching, but did you always teach just seventh grade or did you have other grades you taught? Well, I'm wondering if I should put in a little bit of a personal testimony here. Okay, um, please do. We want to know you more than yes. anything else. Well, I had a pretty strong conversion experience when I was 19 years old. Uh, I finished my first year of college and I thought I want to dedicate my life to the Lord. And I thought the way you served him was in the ministry. So I had planned to go into the ministry and was even in seminary for uh, a semester and um, at Fuller in Pasadena. And while I was there, you know, I enjoyed the classes, the professors, the coursework, but I didn't have peace in my heart. I just knew this is not the right path for me. So it was a consequential decision because leaving seminary meant going into the military because I, um, the Vietnam War was going on and I would be drafted. So I entered the Air Force and while I was in the Air Force, I just felt like I should be going into teaching. So I took uh, extension classes while I was in the Air Force to get a credential, uh, master's in curriculum instruction, and uh, started teaching as soon as I left the Air Force. And uh, my principal assigned me to a math classroom. I started uh, using the math textbooks that were given to me. We completed the first chapter. The kids did fine on the test, Took this, uh, completed the second chapter, gave them a test, included some questions from the first chapter, and it's as though I had never taught the first chapter. What? I couldn't stand that they would dare forget something that I had taught them so recently. So I just knew it wasn't going to work, and I started writing my own assignments from that day. 
So I had five different uh, levels of students, and I would write a customized assignment for each level of student that I was working with. And I did that teaching for 10 years before I met John Saxon. But in the year or two prior to John meeting John, I had started creating content that we could use in our own school to prepare fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students to be stronger when they came to me in seventh and eighth grade. Okay. And um, in fact, um, other schools in our school district found out about it. And I think by the time I met John Saxon, every school in the school district was using the materials that I had created. And we'd had a lot of success. We, we had district math competitions. We won every single year. We, had, we participated in regional competitions and did very well. So I knew that the method really worked. So I was really confident that it would work with other students. Uh, but I had really any thoughts about expanding and making the program available outside of our school district until I read that article about John Saxon. So God just- well, there was about 10 years of teaching prior to meeting John. I continued to teach. Um, I ended up with 17 years in the school district before the workload of writing just became so heavy that I, I wasn't having any weekends. I wasn't having any vacation periods. I wasn't really having evenings with my family. So I just decided, let's just do this full time. So we're thankful you did. Yes. We were very thankful you did. Well, um, and, yeah. And, and really, the, the day that I started writing... Um, I mean, we didn't, we were a one-income family. You know, my wife stayed home. We had four kids at the time. We ended up with five children. Um, she did homeschool uh, a couple of our uh, children for a few years. So you know, we had some experience along those lines. Um, but I had to work during the summers, you know, whether it was in construction or uh, summer school. But this one summer, I just, just like I felt compelled to leave seminary, uh, I felt compelled, I have to start writing. I have to just start writing. And I didn't have any approval from the school district to, you know, they wouldn't fund the effort. So I just, just did what I felt compelled to do. And I did show some materials to our assistant superintendent. Uh, she loved them and said, well, we'll help you get this reproduced so your other other teachers can use it. So there was some help from the school district to uh, get the materials available for students in our school district. Right. That helps them. That didn't help all of us. <laughs> no, but the experience of writing individual assignments for all these different levels of students every day for nearly 10 years really taught me what's difficult for students. Because if you're, if you're really pretty capable at math, if you're kind of math-oriented person, you don't recognize what's difficult for students that aren't. Right. And they have to teach you. And so those years of experience, they taught me what was hard for them, how much practice they needed, how much time they needed before that next step of instruction. So I really credit the student for helping me to create something that works for a broad spectrum of the population. One of the questions, I think I I told you before we started, I may have already said it here. I, I pulled several of our mom to get some questions and you've already answered um, one or two of them. But let me ask you, so now that Saxon Math is out, can you tell me what kind of student is Saxon Math best designed for? I mean, what kind of students thrive the best using Saxon? Well, as I mentioned, uh, one of my last comments was that we designed the program 
to work with a broad spectrum of the population. My, one of my motivations uh, in writing, when I first started writing it for our own school district, was that my own children were coming up to fourth, fifth, sixth grade level. And I wanted them to be better prepared than the students that I was seeing coming into the seventh grade classroom. So, you know, the, the love of a father is involved in in the creation of this content. Um, They happen to be pretty capable math students, and they thrived using the program. But I also want students that aren't as capable to also do well. And and so one analogy that I have used um, is, let's say um, you want to walk with your child through um, your garden and it's the sprinklers are running or have been running or it's been a rainy day or whatever, and you don't want their feet to get wet. So you're just going to walk on the stepping stone. Well, if the stepping stones are laid out for an adult, your kids' shoes are going to get wet. (laughs) Their feet are going to get wet. But if you put in some more stepping stones, the adult just walks along and doesn't really notice that there are many more stepping stones. But your child can walk through the garden without getting their feet wet. And it's kind of like that in the creation of this content is that we've put in maybe a few more stepping stones and space them in such a way that more kids can take those steps up through the development of the math content. But it doesn't seem to bother the kids that are, can make great leaps you know, because they just are math oriented in their way they think. So the only students that I see that have find it difficult or would maybe be at the, I don't know if you can, the, if we were t- teaching classes, we would say our, our lower end students or the students that just really seem to have no math uh, automated wiring built into their, their thinking. And so uh, we did create some supplemental content to help those students along. But, so I wouldn't say that we would, and I would think that almost any parent um, that has the gumption to homeschool would have a student that would most likely be able to succeed and, and thrive using the Saxon math program. I have used it with all four of my kids. Saxon was used with them. I've used other programs too, but um, Saxon was a foundational one for us to get us to later year. And I told you my oldest used through calculus and then and never had any problems going through college and testing out of whatever he needed to. He laughed at me once. He called me. He says, mom, I'm in college. They said I had to have pre-calculus. I thought I took that already. I was like, you did at home. And he's like, so I took the CLEP exam. I made a 98. I'm like, well, did you study? And he's like, no, they said I needed it. I said, I take the test. I walked in the next room and I took the test, made a 98. And I was like, (laughs) oh, that's great. And the thing about moving through math, I mean, it, it all builds on itself, right? Math is, it's not like other subjects where, let's say, it would be nice if you knew European history before studying American history, but you can study American history and still be successful if you haven't had Amer- uh, European history first. Right. Uh, but that's not true about math. I mean, if, if you're not strong in your like arithmetic skills, great uh, elementary school skills, you're not going to be successful in algebra. And if you're, or if you are not very strong in algebra, you're not going to be successful in calculus. You have to be strong. That foundation has to be built all along the way. And students that have trouble in calculus probably are having trouble because they're weak in algebra. Or students that are having trouble in algebra are probably having trouble because they're weak in those lower grade level skills. So it all really starts with the the strength of the foundation. It's like building a multi-story skyscraper. Uh, The higher you want to go, 
the deeper in the ground they dig because they need to build a foundation that will support the superstructure. I often tell moms as they're looking at their programs or they're like, oh, I'm pulling my kids out. They was in third grade. So I need to go in the fourth grade program. I'm like, no, you need to take a placement test because you need to find exactly what's missing. You build a solid foundation. Absolutely I right. And I, I, my word about the placement tests is that the placement tests work for initially placing students in the program. They're not intended to be used once the student finishes a year in the program and then they use the placement test to skip books. That's not a good idea. No. Because you want to have a, build a solid foundation. You want the work to be relatively easy for the student all the way through because they have a strong foundation and each learning step is just one more little step. Um, skipping books is not a good idea. And I've seen students, very bright students, have trouble later on by moving too rapidly through the programs. So, well, on that note, one of my questions from moms was, can you reduce the number? A lot of times moms will complain about the number of questions. I think that they have children that are just like, really, I have all these questions to do. Typical student grump. But so the moms ask, can you reduce the number of questions? Not skipping lessons, not skipping books, but can you reduce the number of questions and still have an excellent program? Yes, and which uh, I would say no, but in um, which <laughs> questions would you skip? Because if you're skipping review questions, then you're not reviewing some of the content that needs to be practiced. Uh, it's not like the, the old chapter level or unit level type uh, textbooks where you have 30 questions of the same type and the teacher tells you, well, you can just do the odd questions today or the even questions today. Um, it just doesn't work with the Saxon program because we're reviewing everything all the time. And that review not only assures that students are going to remember, put it in their long-term memory, but often it's just building gradually building to the next step of instruction. And it's helping students develop a concept. And our concept is, uh, maybe we could think of it as like a three-dimensional object. Well, if you only ask one question, then you're only seeing that object from one angle. So many of the questions are designed to see that concept from different angles to create a, create a bigger picture of what this concept is all about. So we have consistently from the beginning said, do every lesson in order and all the problems in the review sets um, without skipping any. Yes, there's a certain amount of work involved, uh, but your student will be better for it. And I would suggest if your kids are really struggling with the number of questions, break it across two days. You're still doing sure. all the answers, all the questions, just maybe not in one sit so. Yeah, and there's something else that uh, comes to mind when you're when you're asking that question, because if it's if they're going slowly, then maybe they're struggling. And if they're struggling, maybe they should back up a bit. It depends on how they're performing on tests. Uh, in the, I believe it's in the front matter, but uh, the general guidelines that I've given is that you want students to be scoring at the 80% level on the weekly tests. And if they start scoring below 80%, then pretty soon they're going to start below, um, scoring below 70 and then below 60 because they're reaching the point where they're kind of overwhelmed by the new content. And it's better just to back up and make sure that they are mastering to the point of being able to score around 80% on those uh, tests. So I think of the 80% level as like a red flag. If they score below, that's, you know, below 80%, 
there are one or two tests in some of the books that I know are especially difficult. And so maybe one time they're going to score 72 instead of 80. Maybe after they correct their mistakes, oh yeah, I knew that. I just, it was a tricky question or something. But if any, there's any consistency of scoring below 80%, then you just have to back up. And you're homeschooling. It doesn't matter. Right. You can just back it up until your child feels like they're being successful again and then keep moving on. You don't want them to become overwhelmed. One other point uh, related to how long it takes for students to complete assignments is that what's their mastery of basic facts? Are they struggling with multiplication facts or subtraction facts? The facts practice exercises suggested at the beginning of each lesson are important especially the multiplication facts. I mean, students cannot be successful in middle school math and beyond if they don't haven't just com- completely automated the basic fact. By automated, I mean they should be able to complete a 100-question test in under three minutes and preferably under two minutes. It should just be, they shouldn't even have to be sub-vocalized. They just see two numbers, eight and seven, and they know that that product is 56. They just have to be so automated. So automaticity of basic facts as well as uh, basic algorithms is part of the secret of success in working through the Saxon math program or in any math program. So Steve and I have a question for you. One of the other moms, one of the rumor mills that goes through the homeschooling world that we go to conventions or you're with your mom friends that you're at a co-op or whatever, and we talk about what we want to use. There's a rumor going around that Saxon's not going to be around in a couple of years. Can you diffuse that rumor for us? Yes, I can. Thankfully, I can. Uh, there was some substance to that rumor. Uh, about three years ago, well, let's back up a little bit farther. Um, back in around 2006, the Saxon kids, John Saxon's four children who own Saxon Publishers, sold the company to Harcourt, a division of Harcourt called Harcourt Achieve. Okay. And then Harcourt Achieve, a few years later, Harcourt was acquired by Houghton Mifflin, which became Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, HMH. So HMH owns the publishing rights to Saxon Publishers. About three years ago, HMH changed their strategic plan to shift from print publishing to digital publishing. And when they announced that plan, uh, they also uh, indicated they were going to retire some of the legacy programs, some of their older print programs, maybe some that they had acquired uh, with with the purchase of Harcourt, maybe some of the old Houghton Mifflin programs. So Saxon was identified as one of the programs that was going to cease publishing. They were going to cease publishing, uh, and it wouldn't be available for sale after June 30th, 2024. I, When I heard that, I started reaching out to HMH because sales were still strong, and I was not clear why they would want to. I mean, this is a company that has had struggled financially for years. Right. And I didn't know why they would want to cancel a program that was still generating million, many millions of dollars a year in sales. So I, I, I connected with one person in charge of the math programs for HMH. Uh, we had some Zoom meetings, and, uh, and but then there was this reduction in force, and he his job was eliminated. So... All the invested effort in talking with them vanished. So then I connected with a, another, and it's not easy to connect. <laughs> so I connected with another person and worked with her. And we had uh, some meetings, uh, Zoom meetings, and then she left the company. So it wasn't until 
early this year that I finally connected with someone that had some staying power in the company, an executive VP, maybe second tier from the very top, one tier below the very top of the company. And she was in charge of uh, math and science for school publishing. And uh, we had several exchanges and meetings. And uh, at the con- it was apparent that they wanted to keep the Saxon math program in print. So they were going to be preparing a recommendation to take to the top tier of the company. And so we were notified a few months ago that Saxon math will remain available, that their recommendation was to... Um, build Saxon Math into their digital offering. So they, so Saxon Math would be available in the future uh, by digital subscription and for that a third party yet to be identified uh, would have the program available in print. So, and the main internal division of HMH that was driving this uh, was the division that serves homeschoolers. So it's, it was obvious to, it's not just homeschools that we, we sell to, but we, we sell a substantial number of books to homeschool. So, uh, but I think that division might also serve private schools, um, charter schools, independent schools, which has been the staple for Math Saxon Math over its history is that if the closer Saxon the decision maker is to the student, to the child, the more likely uh, that decision maker is to choose Saxon, which is really gratifying to me. I mean, I would rather be, you know, close to the, as close for the decision maker to be as close to the student as possible, because that tells me that that's the person who cares most about what what the curriculum will be for their child. You know, once it gets to the, a, a, dis, a district where there might be an assistant superintendent of instruction or somebody that has a, a career path, then it's less likely that Saxon is going to be chosen because there's this controversy associated with SAC because of some of John Saxon's pronouncements in the early years about the experts, the so-called experts in math education. Uh, I think I've strayed from your question. No, I uh, think you're you, fine. You want to remind me? Uh, no, I asked you if it was going away. And you're oh, yes. me it's uh, so go. I'm coming back. Yes, yes, I'm coming back to that now. Um, so they will they will make it available um, for digital subscription, and there will be a print version available. But they know that that's going to take a little time. It, they won't be done by June 30th of 2024. So they approved extending the deadline to continue to publish all the programs as is through June 30th of 2025. So on our there's a web page on our hakepublishing.com website uh, about Saxon math, and periodically we'll be updating that page so that people can know the you know, the latest that I know, anyway, about the future of Saxon publishers or Saxon math. Uh, I am confident that that it will have a future for a, a decade or so, if not longer. So the the question is just the only question that lingers in my mind is which editions are going to be available. Okay. A very popular homeschool edition is the last Saxon Publishers edition that was published in the early 2000s, maybe 2003, 2004. Uh, it has carries the titles Math 87, 76, 65, 54. Uh, the John Saxon written, authored algebra books, the John Saxon written Algebra 1 hat, Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Advanced Math, Calculus, all those that have the high school books that have the letters of algebra or calculus on the cover, those are all John Saxon authored 
textbooks. Those are the ones that I recommend at the high school level. There is a second edition, another edition. I think it might be called a third edition. Um, a Saxon high school book called Algebra 1, Geometry, Algebra 2. They don't have the letters of algebra written on the covers. Those were not written by John Saxon. They were written by uh, people in Development House. It was kind of published right around the transition time from H from Harcourt Achieved to HMH. Um, I remember when the geometry one came out. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So those are available, but they're not Saxon, John Saxon authored books. Uh, there is a Harcourt Achieve edition, um, and when Harcourt Achieve published those in math in math, uh, 2007, 2008, they changed the titles, the middle grade titles. It's still kindergarten one, two, and three are the same titles, but math 54 became intermediate four, math 65 became intermediate five, math 76 became course one, and math 87 became course two. At that time, we also wrote a third grade book and an eighth grade book. The third grade book is intermediate three, and the eighth grade book is course three. And course three would be an alternative to Algebra one half. So those books have been available to homeschoolers as well. And then there's one more edition, which was published around 2017, 2018, and it has a different cover, but the content is the same. So there's no problem in using the 2017-2018 edition, like if there were a classroom in the same classroom with um, the 2007-2008 the edition. And while I'm, while I'm talking about that, maybe I should comment on Common Core. I was going to say, that was my next Because part. that's another, yeah, that, that's another rumor that is circulated. And that rumor, whereas the the rumor about the cancellation of Saxon had some basis in fact. The, the rumor about Common Core doesn't really have a basis in fact, because the content is just, it was all written before Common Core. Right. It was all written before Common Core. And so it, it, it doesn't really conform to all of the Common Core requirement, although HMH did publish, and maybe this is where the rumor came from, they did publish some teacher supplements uh, to that could accompany the program to address some Common Core elements. And, and maybe I'll just mention a little bit about Common Core in general that people might not be aware of. You'll have a lot of content to decide what you want to put into this um, podcast. There are about 20 states that have a formal state-level adoption process for curriculum for students in their state, for public school students in their state. Like California is an adoption state. Texas is an adoption state. Florida is an adoption state. Those are very big states that have adoption processes. There are about 20 in total. The other states don't have a state-level adoption process. That means school districts within those other states can adopt whatever they want. But in an adoption state, schools can't use state funds to purchase those programs unless they meet the state-level adoption requirements. And some of those states, their, their standards are very different than other states. In fact, there was a time when California and Texas were so far apart that at the eighth grade level, 
there was zero overlap in what was expected for students in California and what was expected of students in Texas. And that drives publishers crazy. How are we going to create a program that's going to serve both? So you had to create these individual programs for different states. And if the state was large enough, then maybe it was worth the effort and the expense. So then the um, heads of the departments of education in many of these states said, why don't we just get our heads together and create something that would be Let's at least agree on 80% of the, and that was the beginning of this Common Core effort. Let's agree on 80% of the content. And so the initial effort was just fine and very understandable. I mean, if a student is going to move from Texas to California or vice versa, which is more likely now, um, there had should be some commonality. A student shouldn't show up at the same grade level and find that they're the con the Instruction is totally different. The content expectationally different. So the original concept of Common Core was fine, but then the federal government heard about it and decided, well, we can you know, track students and we can um, you know do national testing and we can. So then it became a lot more controversial. And some of the content, not so much in the math area, but maybe in some of the language arts areas, became a little bit more controversial too. And I think it became a political thing. Whereas, whereas it was a common sense thing to start with. I, I am a military kid. I grew up going to many different schools, went to kindergarten in California, then Rhode Island and Philadelphia. You know, I can remember in second grade, I started in Philadelphia in my math class. I was bored. So I flipped to the back and I taught myself multiplication. Halfway, you know, at Christmas time, we moved to a whole nother state. Then the second half of kinder or second grade, we never touched multiplication. That curriculum never went to it. Beginning yes. third grade, I now lived in Virginia. They had already learned multiplication and they were going on. Had I not taught myself in second grade, I would have been totally lost in third grade because there was no commonality. Yes. And I have a friend that works in our state, Common Core, Common Adoption. And she's like, the whole thing was just to get everyone hitting the same standards, not right. not the method right. that, you know, everyone's going to learn multiplication by this time. Everyone's going right. to learn this, but it is not this funk, you know, add 20 to your three to make it 25. And, you know, that's not common. That's a whole different method. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, I agree. And on that note, I mean, on that thought of Common Core, as a kid who suffered from moving so many places and losing, like, I never learned how to diagram a sentence. I can remember taking ACT, trying to figure out what word went on a line on the ACT test. I didn't uh -huh. know, so I figured the one, the short one that fit on that line was the one that would go on it. So, but I have since, as a homeschool mom, learned how to diagram sentences, and I can do it quite well. But it took me graduating and having kids and homeschooling and being able to go back and relearn it all to do it. So, yeah, but I a, am, it's a helpful skill. Yeah, but I am in the victim of the moving from state to state. I went to 13 schools between preschool and graduating high. So I will self-taught. So, so Stephen, I got a question for you. When Saxon Math goes to digital, do you think that they'll make any changes that are will step away from the way it's formatted now? I expect the program will be identical to what it is now. The, the only changes that they can make are ones that I approve. In fact, I create the, the changes. Uh, the contract that I signed with John Saxon is still in force, and it gives me the creative rights to the program. So every word, every number, every diagram, it's all you know, controlled by, by the author. And there's only one author, and that's me. Uh, so Nancy Larson had the same contract at the primary grade level. I think that she no longer owns that program. 
but I don't expect them to be making changes. I don't expect them to be making an investment in editorial work that's going to change the program uh, at all. So, Mr. Stephen, because um, I am in the South, everyone's a Mr. or a Miss. Um, is there anything, as a new homeschool mom, so one of the things I always like to ask at the end of a podcast, as a new mom or just a homeschool mom, do you have, or family, I should say, because not everyone's the mom, do you have advice as you're looking at using Saxon? I would tell moms, use your placement test if you're brand new into Saxon, trust the process, and start where it begins. Is there anything you would want to add to that advice? The secret of success uh, is proper placement and appropriate pacing. Um, Pushing students too fast uh, can be a problem, even if you've placed them properly. But it really does boil down to what you you are recommending. Put them in the right right level of the program. Don't be overly ambitious about your your child. Just let them work their way through the program. If, If they're very capable and they move fast, that's fine. Just make sure they're doing all of the exercises and they're scoring well on their test. Uh, If they need to go a little slower, that's all right. So that really, it's it's just as simple as that. If, if you can start them in the right place so they're not frustrated to begin with and just let them move more or less at their own pace, they can be very successful. Uh, it's a program where students can read the instruction and operate pretty independently. Uh, there are solutions manuals available. If you want to get those solutions manuals to, um, if it becomes too difficult for the parent to help their child, uh, there are some also some videos available. Um, are you talking about the dive or? Well, dive dive was one that um, has been available for many years. Uh, Saxon, I mean Houghton Mifflin uh, created their own videos. The Sac, I think they call it Saxon Teacher. Yes, that's a set of videos. Um, there might even be some internet services out there that online services that for a small subscription fee, uh, the, the person will help you through different books in the series and um, provide the instruction for the for the child. So there are a lot of resources that have built up around. Saxon math. I mean, it's been in print for 40 years now. And so there's some just cottage industries that have developed uh, around the program because there are so many people that have used the program. I know we have, we made programs available to student uh, homeschoolers directly, like right from the beginning. I, I remember John Saxon. I had, it must have been 1984. He was telling me, you know, we've got these people out there that are teaching their own kids at home and they don't need to buy, buy two books. I mean, they don't need to buy a student textbook and an expensive teacher's edition. We'll just print off an answer key for the soft cover answer key for students. And so he was serving homeschoolers right from the beginning. Um, And and we were very early on selling materials to homeschoolers before we were affiliated with John Saxon. So, you know, I, I appreciate that parents are doing math with their students, but some parents don't. Some parents, uh, they just think that it's an optional class, <laughs> an optional course. Say math is not optional. It's, it's not optional. And what was true a few years ago, while I was still teaching, was that 80% of college majors 
were closed to students who had not successfully completed Algebra 2. Well, that's a lot of doors to shut on your child uh, just because you might feel a little uncomfortable with math yourself. So finding a way, even if it is uncomfortable, to help your students get through those levels or at least prepare them well for secondary school if they're going to um, go to a public or private school for high school. It, it will really help your child. There's hardly anything that you can do that would be more important for their for the option, keeping their options open for their future. Of my three kids that have gone off to college, all of them had to have math. One is a pilot, and I, I understand the need for calculus, but I also know she has lots of programs and stuff that does all the calculations for her, but she had to take calculus her freshman year. And she was well prepared. Yeah, one's a nurse. Definitely, you want him to know how to do fractions and ratios because he's a ministering drug. And then the third one, she was a degree I didn't think would need math because she was going to be an English teacher. But she ended up doing statistics and being a TA. And she was huh? the one that disliked math, actually threw the math book at me when she was a kid. <laughs> she could never do math. And um, but her husband also homeschooled, used Saxon all the way. He's an aerospace engineer. He tells me all the time that Saxon is the best program that you ever could have. It equipped him well for high or for college, that he never struggled in college. But he's also very God-gifted in math and logic thinking. But he felt that Saxon more than prepared him for college and his degree in engineering. So That's from wonderful. him to you, thank you very much. So great. Thank you. Um, thank you for joining us today. I am excited to finally have made connections with you and have you on chat with sunlight. I know the moms are very excited to have an option to get to know Saxon and the author of many of the book that they use on a daily basis. So thank you, Stephen, for joining me today. You know, uh, I began writing these books for my own kids, and I don't think there's anything that's been more gratifying to me than for parents to appreciate um, the efforts that have paid off for their own kids. So I and really I, appreciate the opportunity, Jonna. Thank you. You're welcome. And I am thankful that you were willing to take that nudge from God to be in teaching and not in the ministry and follow through because that brought you here. You know, uh, the Lord is interested in every aspect of our lives. He is a God of details. I always tell my kids. Yes. He is in the detail. Yes. So thank Perfect you. Perfect timing. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us today. Do you have an idea for a podcast topic or do you want to chat with Sunlight on an upcoming episode? Email us at connections at sunlight.com.